Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 145. Psalm 145, we'll read verse number three. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege tonight just to look into the scripture and find things about you. Help us, Lord, to delight in what we find Delight in the goodness of our God. Thank you, Lord, that we've already studied that you are a great God. And we thank you that accompanied with that greatness is your goodness. It'd be a frightening thing to think that our God knew everything about us and that he was all-powerful and that he was everywhere present. We could never get away from him. And then to find out that he was a, a mean God. But Lord, we thank you that we can see in the scripture tonight that you're a good God, and we praise you for that. Help us to uh, understand these things tonight, and we'll thank you for your word and for yourself, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Um, a couple weeks ago, we looked in the great, at the greatness of God, and I had some notes on that that I passed out on the greatness of God. These notes, I... I um, formulated uh, several years ago when we did a study here in our in our church on on the uh, doctrines of the bible doctrines about god and the, and the scripture and one of those things was the doctrine of god himself and uh, two things under that was the greatness of god and the goodness of god tonight i've handed out to you a sheet that talks about the goodness of god we look we'll look at those things we looked uh, before at the greatness of God, some of his characteristics of his greatness is he's self-existent. He doesn't depend on anybody else for his existence. Uh, nobody else can say that. He's eternal. He always has been, always will be. He's unchangeable, and that the word that's often used is he, he's immutable. That means unchangeable. He changes not. He's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present. He's omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's omnipotent, means he's all-powerful. He's, he's perfect, and he's incomprehensible. After all that you study about him, you find out you really can't find out everything about the Lord because he's incomprehensible. He's such a great God, there's no way that you can put it in your, your minds how great he is. And so we began with the verse tonight, uh, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. But tonight I want us to look at the goodness of God. I've given you a copy of notes, and we'll go through that, and I'll be sharing with you several of these verses that are written down. And uh, first of all, the study of the goodness of God is the study of his moral attributes, uh, things about God that, that show how, how great he is, how good he is. And after seeing what the Bible says about God's greatness, it's encouraging that we find out that this great God is also a good God. It would be frightening in the wrong sense if we found out that he was not a good God. And you know, a lot of the gods of the world, they're not really gods, they don't really exist, but in their mind they do. And they dream up these gods, and these gods are fighting in the heavens, or these gods are have it out for man, and, and uh, he, he's a, a, a bad god, and you've got to try to appease him and all of that. 
uh, God's not pictured that way in the scripture. He's pictured as great and he's holy. And because he's holy, he, he has standards and all of that. But he's also a good God. And uh, even creation told you, tells you that the goodness of God and the, and the greatness of God is seen in creation. You can observe creation and know that God is a good God because he sends rain on people who don't deserve it. He sends sunshine when people don't deserve it. He makes the crops grow of a person who's wicked and hates him, and yet the Lord is good, and he keeps them alive, and they owe everything to him. And God is a good God, even though sometimes people don't understand that. But tonight we'll look at the goodness of God. There's several things about the goodness of God. First of all, God is holy. The word holy means that he's set apart. He's totally apart from everyone. There's two aspects to that. And first of all, he's set apart. There's nobody like him. Uh, God says one time, he says, there is no other God. I know not any. And God himself said, there is no God. There's no, beside me, there's only one God and there's nobody like him. And so God is totally set apart from other people or other beings because uh, there's no one like God. And so he's all in the class uh, by himself. He's, he's a holy God. He's set apart. But also it means set apart from uh, wickedness, some, from uh, iniquity, from things that are not right. God is a pure God. God is a holy God. And so he's set apart from all those kind of things. And so God is absolutely set apart from that, his created beings. And we see that in the scripture. Psalm 97 verse 9 says, For the Lord... For the, thou, Lord, art, ho, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted above all other gods. And the, and the word there in the Bible is the small g, gods. They don't really exist, but in the minds of men they do. They say they're gods. And the Lord says, I'm far above all of those. Psalm 92, 99 verse 2 says, The Lord is high above all people. Verse 9 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. He's high above all people. Psalm 113 verse 4 says, The Lord is high above all, above, above all nations and his glory above the heavens. So his glory, the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God, and yet his glory is greater than what the heavens show. So he is... He's high above all nations. He's high above even the glory of the heavens. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. And so he's entirely set apart from others. Also, he's set apart from impurity or imperfection. He's, He's morally clean. Psalm 24 verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and pure heart. That would mean we wouldn't stand much chance, would we, of getting to heaven if it wasn't for what Jesus did for us. Because it says, who is it that's going to stand in the holy hill in the, with the Lord? Uh, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. None of us tonight can say we have clean hands and a pure heart. None of us can say we've never done anything wrong. We've never thought anything wrong. We all know that's not true. But because Jesus paid for that and we accept him as our Savior, he gives us his righteousness so we are counted righteous in, the, in our standing with the Lord. And so we can go into heaven because we have the righteousness of God applied to our account. But this passage shows that God is a, is a holy God, morally holy. 
Job 34, verse 10 says, For be, Far be it from God that he should be, do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. Far be it from God that he would do anything wrong. A classic passage that you've probably heard is Habakkuk 1, verse 13. It says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. God cannot look with approval, that is, on iniquity. I mean, he sees everything, of course. But God is of, whole, of pure eyes and to behold evil and, and uh, accept that. Uh, God's above all that. Proverbs 15, verse 9 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination uh, to the Lord. And so the Lord is so holy and he's so great in his holiness and the world is just full of wickedness, and they don't seem to understand that God who is over them is a holy God, and he demands holiness. Also, we see that God's person and all about him is holy. And this, past, these, this list here shows uh, all these things about God, and it says that he's holy. I'll, I'll read you some of the verses. Uh, it's, the Bible says the Father, God the Father is holy. John 17, verse 11 says... I come, I come to thee, Jesus said, O Holy Father. And so he's the only Holy Father. I know that some people call a certain person Holy Father, but he's not. Uh, God is the only Holy Father. And so uh, he, he is, the, the Father is holy. The Bible also says the Son is holy. Acts chapter 3, verse 14. But, be, but ye, denied, ye denied, Peter was talking, he said, but ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. He was talking to the Jews who rejected Jesus. And he said, you denied the Holy One. Who was that Holy One? That was Jesus. So the Son is holy. The Bible also says the Spirit is holy. Ephesians 4 verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God is holy. The Bible also says His habitation is holy. Deuteronomy 26 verse 15 says, Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel. God's place, His habitation, heaven, is a holy place. There is no sin there. And to think someone can go to heaven just because they're a good person is to misunderstand the holiness of God. He is holy. His habitation is holy. And unless your sins are taken care of, there is no way you can get to heaven. And so his habitation is holy. His throne is holy. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. And so his throne is holy. His name is holy. Isaiah 57 verse 15 for thus saith the high and lofty one whose name is holy. His arm is holy. Psalm 98 verse 1 says, His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. His holy arm. When God bears his arm to do something, that's talking about his strength. Everything God does is holy. <laughs> he, is, he, he, he is right in what he does. He is a holy God. His promises are holy. Psalm 105, verse 42 says, He remembereth his holy promise and Abraham his servant. And so his promise is holy. So everything about the Lord is holy. Also, the Bible says God demands and works to accomplish holiness in his people. God wants us to be holy. He says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so it should not surprise us that a holy God 
wants his people, his servants, to be also holy. Holiness is the fundamental attribute of God. I've written this down. I hope you'll read this. It says God's holiness regulates the exercise of all other attributes. All other attributes. God is always holy. He is not always merciful. He's not always loving. He's not always kind. and He's not always gracious. And he's not always long-suffering. But he is always holy. Even his faithfulness is governed by his holiness. So this is a basic attribute of God, which is foundational to all the others, and that is he is a holy God. Now also we find that God is true. So God's a good God, and this is seen in his holiness, but he's also a true God. Truth is found in the very being and nature of God. God is truth. The Bible says God the Father is true. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock, a God of truth without iniquity. The Bible says the Son of God is true. Remember Jesus said in John 14, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. He's true. And so God the Son is true. Also God the Spirit is true. John 14 verse 17 says he's referred to as the Spirit of truth. And so the Spirit of God is is true. Also, God is the only true God. John 17 verse 3 says that they might know thee the only true God. So people might claim there are other gods. There's really not. But if they're going to claim it is, they are. The Lord says he's the only one who's holy. He's the only one who's true. In fact, he is the only true God. So God is a true God. Because of this, we can trust him. Because he's true, we can always trust him. And the Bible makes it clear, and we've written down the passages there, that his word is true. What he says is always true. He never tells you anything that's false. He's always true. His sayings are true, Revelation 19. His record is true, John 18. His witness is true, Revelation 3, verse 14. His gospel is true, Ephesians 1, 13. His judgments are true. Everything the Lord does when he performs a judgment, his judgments are true. His grace is true, and his prophecies are true. So you can look those passages up, and it says all of these things about God, they're true, because he is a true God. Nothing false about him. Nothing deceptive about him. Everything about God is totally true. When you say that God is incomprehensible, that's true. When you say God is omniscient, he knows everything, that's true. There is nothing he doesn't know. Nothing. He knows every little detail about everything. This morning I referenced the, the Mohole Project that was back in the 1960s, and they've tried to do some things since that. I haven't found out what the latest is on that, but uh, what they're trying to do is find out what's under the Earth's crust, and uh, I think they're going to be surprised when they get down there if the Lord ever lets them do that. But they're trying to find out. God already knows that. God already knows everything. He, he knows everything. He knows every layer. He knows everything about the temperature there. He knows all of it. God knows everything. That's true. When you say God is omnipotent, that means all, he's all-powerful. That's true. 
He is all powerful, nothing too hard for God, and nothing impossible for God to do within his character. Now, what he does is always in relation to his holiness. What he does is always in relation to every other attribute. He doesn't contradict himself. But God is an is a omnipotent God. He can do anything. And so all these things about God are true because he is a God of truth. That's, that's a good character of God. If you tell me that a person is truthful, that's a commendable characteristic. To say that God is truthful, that he's a true God, that's commendable. It shows his goodness. But then the next thing about God's goodness is God's love. God is love. Love is the attribute, and I'm going to quote from Bancroft's Elemental Theology. It's a theology book that I used when I was uh, in school. And it's not that big a book, but it's just chuck full of good things. And he states it like this. He says, Love is that attribute of God by which he is inclined to seek the highest good for his creatures and the communication of himself to them regardless of the sacrifice involved. That's a good character, good description. But then I like this by Meyer. He says this, All the love in a woman's heart together, compared to the love of his heart, is as a glowworm's torch compared to the sun at noontide. <laughs> in other words, God's love is more than you can even comprehend. God is a God of love. Now that's important for us to know after we spent a good bit of time this morning talking about hell. What kind of place it is, who's there, um, you know, what's it like in hell, and all those things. When you find out that and know that this place called hell was prepared by God for the devil and his angels and all those that follow them, you know that God is an almighty, powerful God. He's a righteous God, but he's also a God of love. And you know that's true because when you read the scripture, you find that even though Jesus told about hell and warned about hell, he didn't want anybody to go there. And he did what was necessary so people wouldn't have to go there because he's a God of love. Because he's a God of holiness, he could never let sin into heaven. He could never, let, he could never wink and say, Oh, that's all right. I'm, I'm such a loving God. I, I just won't do that. I won't, I won't punish your sin. I'll just let you on to heaven. Now, that compromises his holiness. And so God is a whole. I mean, he, he's a true God. And, and you have to take everything with God. And, it's a, and he, cannot, uh, he cannot contradict his holiness. But it's good to know that God is a God of love. And he doesn't want to destroy. He doesn't want to judge. He doesn't want to do those things and to hurt people. He doesn't want to do that. He wants also he wants first of all to spare them of that. But if they will not, if they turn against him because he's a God of holiness and and he will not change his his character, he will act towards that uh, based on that and uh, a person will go to hell because God is a holy God and he's a righteous God and he's a true God. But let's talk about the love of God. The Old Testament speaks of God's love. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 7 and 8. The Lord did not set his love upon you, speaking of Israel, the Jews, 
The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondage from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God's saying, you didn't deserve that. The reason I did that for you is because I loved you. It was love in action. I loved you. So God is seen as a God of love in the Old Testament. You know, sometimes people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath. The God of the New Testament is a God of love. No, the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And the God of the Old Testament was a God of love and wrath. The God of the New Testament is a God of love and wrath. There's no greater display of both than on the cross of Calvary. God loved us enough that he sent his son. But God's God of wrath and he hates sin so much that he was willing to judge his own son pour that punishment that we deserve on his own son so he could save us. The great display of wrath and love there at the cross of Calvary. So God is a God of love in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In 1 John, it tells about that love. 1 John chapter 4. In the, let's just turn there in 1 John 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. That's his character. For in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only Son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God is a God of love. Now let's look at the nature of God's love. The nature of God's love. God's love is unselfish. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 7, he said, I didn't love you because you were great. <laughs> I didn't love you for what I could get out of you because you were a bigger than most people, other groups of people or anything like that. He said, I didn't do that. I loved you because I loved you. It was an act of my will. And it was unselfish. It wasn't something I did to get something for myself. God's love is unselfish. God's love is voluntary. You remember the book of Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, Hosea, go love a woman who's had other lovers. She's an adulteress. That I might show the picture of my love for the children of Israel. They don't deserve it. They're unfaithful, but I love them anyway. And so in Hosea, we see that picture. God's love is voluntary. He, he takes the initiative. He does that. Romans 5, 8, For God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is righteous. His, his love is righteous, Psalm 11 says. Also, God's love is sacrificial. God so loved the world that he gave. And God's love is a sacrificial love. He's willing to pay the price for us. God was willing to pay the price so that we could have what we don't deserve. It was sacrificial love. God's love is everlasting. Romans 8 tells us that. 
I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So God's love is everlasting. He, the Bible says that he loved his children, the children of Israel, with an everlasting love. And so that's important to know today when there's all this talk about anti-Semitism. Uh, God loves the children of Israel, and that love is everlasting. God also, God's love is also evidenced by his actions toward his people. Because God's, God loves, he's merciful. We all remember the way we, describe, we distinguish between mercy and grace. Mercy is when God withholds his hand. We deserve his wrath, but he holds it back. Grace is when he extends his hand. We don't deserve what he's given us, but he gives it to us anyway. Unmerited favor. So mercy is withheld wrath, and grace is extended favor. And so mercy and grace. Why is mercy and grace? Because of God's love. God is kind. The Bible says his love is evidenced by his kindness to us. And so the Lord is a kind God. And he reminds us in the scripture that we one day will be on display. And Ephesians tells us, chapter 2, verse 7, I think it is, that uh, throughout all the ages will be, will be trophies of God's grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And so God is kind to you. And so we're to be kind because God is kind. Ephesians tells that, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So God is kind and we're to be kind. So God is a kind God because he's, he's a loving God. He's a long-suffering God because he's a loving God. So his love is evidenced by his long-suffering. And that is, he puts up with us. Have it, do any of you feel like God puts up with you? <laughs> well, he does all of us, doesn't he? He puts up with us. And he's, he, he never gets tired of loving us. And even though we fail him many times, he loves us still. And we know that's true. God is a God of love, and he shows that through his long-suffering. Who are the recipients of God's love? Well, the Bible tells us there's various recipients of God's love. First of all, God loves his Son. The Scripture tells us in John 17. Also, God loves those who love his Son and believe on him. And uh, when you love the Lord, the Lord loves you as a special love for you. Also, the Bible tells us that God loves the nation of Israel. I referred to that just a minute ago. In Jeremiah 31, verse 3, his love is an everlasting love to the children of Israel. So when people would turn against the Jew, we need to be reminded of the fact, not only it's because they're, they're our ally, but it's because we, who, we who are Christians, we love God, and God loves the children of Israel, and God has a plan for them. Even when they're disobeying the Lord, the Lord has a plan for them, and God says, I will not break my promise to the Jews. And I have a future plan for them. And the millennial kingdom is a lot of that plan that God has for them. And so we love the Jew because God loves the Jew. That's the main reason. And uh, so it's very dangerous to turn against, against the Jew. God loves the Jew. Also, God loves the world and every person in it. For God so loved the world. There are people, and I've explained this before, there are people who say that 
John 3.16 is talking about the world of the elect. I've heard them say that. That though that's the world of the elect, that God only loves the elect. No, the Bible says God loves the world. And if you look at the context of John 13, you'll find out the world refers to everybody in this world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, even though they deserve that, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not... He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Well, what are you to believe? You're to believe that Jesus died for you. <laughs> and uh, if you don't believe that, then you'll go to hell because you didn't believe it. Well, if he didn't love you and die for you, then why would you go to hell for not believing it? <laughs> he loves you. He loves the world. And so Jesus loves everyone. He loved everyone so much he died for them on the cross of Calvary. I've told you this before, but in seminary I had a professor named, his name was Paul Fink. And Dr. Fink was a professor of homiletics. And uh, he went on to be the uh, head of the homiletics department at Liberty University later. But Dr. Fink one time came to a graduation ceremony that we had at our Christian school in West Virginia. And I remember him there being in the church and he preached the graduation message. And he said this, he said, you cannot take the gospel to the wrong house. And he said, you can go up Morgan, up and down Morgan Hollow Road. And that's what we're, our church was situated on, Morgan Hollow Road. And it was a country place, you know. And, and he said, you can go up Morgan Hollow Road and you can knock on any door that you come to. And you can tell them, God loves you. And he sent his son to die for you. And he said, I'll guarantee you, you will never tell them the wrong thing. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter what their circumstances are. You tell them God loved them enough that he died for them on the cross of Calvary. And that's true because God loved everyone in the world. And he died for them. And so God's love is very important for us to understand. Recipients of God's love. The manifestations of God's love. God's love is manifested by doing good to all people like the, like the good and the evil. You remember he sends rain on the just and on the ju unjust. And so God manifests his love to people. A lot of people don't realize that, but God does. He's a loving God. He's, uh, he manifests his love by dying for all people, and we pretty much covered that already. He manifests his love by disciplining his own children. Those I love, I discipline. And the Lord disciplines his own children. By perfecting his children, make, bringing us to where he wants us to be because he loves us. And by hating all that is evil. Those who love the Lord hate evil, the Bible says. And God hates evil. And so his love uh, is displayed in the fact that uh, he's a holy God and he's a God of love, but he has to hate evil because he's a holy God. And so God is a God of love. Then we want to close by saying one more thing about the goodness of God. And that is God is faithful. God is faithful. It's, this is a very important truth to Christians. The meaning of God's faithfulness, God is reliable. He's steadfast. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. He keeps his promises. The Lord always keeps his promises. 
If you'll turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 9 and 10. Deuteronomy 7, 9 and 10 says, Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to, to him that hateth him he will repay him to his face. Why? God is faithful. And when God says something, he means it. And you can count on it. And if God says the wicked shall be turned into hell, God's faithful to his word. And because he's a good word, he keeps his promises. He's a good God, he keeps his promises. And so God is faithful. And uh, you can count on him. And so practical values of this truth. First of all, it guarantees that God will make good on his promises and his warnings. 2 Timothy 2 verse 13 says, If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. God cannot deny himself. Hebrews 10 verse 23 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. You know what God says, I know what God says. And those promises we've claimed. But sometimes we go through circumstances that try our faith. And we wonder, is it really going to, is God really going to keep his promise? And the Lord says, yes, I will, because I am faithful. I will always keep my promise. God is faithful. So it guarantees that God will make good his promises. It also guarantees the stability of the material universe. Psalm 119 says this, Thy faithfulness is unto all generation. Thou hast established the earth, and it abideth. Let me say something there about what's going on today. There's a lot of talk, you know, about this uh, Green Deal and all this and, and uh, <coughs> trying to protect our planet. And they say the, the planet's going to be destroyed in 12 years if we don't do anything. That's absolute foolishness. Absolute foolishness. Why anybody would believe that, I don't know. But uh, people who don't know the Bible, they just go on what they see and what they think, what be, people have been ta- telling them. But we who know the, know the Bible should know better. We should know that God is the one who's going to determine when this world is destroyed. Amen. And he says this, Thy faithfulness is unto all generation. Thou hast established the earth, has a, has a, hath established the earth, and it abideth, and it will, until God sees fit to destroy it. No man is going to destroy the earth. I don't care how bad you pollute it, you're not going to destroy the earth. (laughs) The Lord's going to do that. And I'll tell you this, and I've told you this before, uh, that's not going to happen for 12 years. In fact, that's impossible. It's impossible for it to happen for at least 1,007 years. <laughs> Why is that? Well, when the Lord takes us out, of the ra- out in the rapture, that's, and that could be tonight, if he takes us tonight, then there's seven years of tribulation period coming. After that tribulation period, the Lord's coming back to establish his kingdom on this earth, 
and he's going to make topographical change on the earth. He's going to change some things, but it's going to be this earth, and he's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years. And after that thousand years, then he's going to uh, destroy this present heaven and present earth, and he's going to make a brand new one. Now, so the earth is not going to be destroyed until the Lord sets up his great white throne judgment at the end of the, at the, at the, after the end of the millennial kingdom, and then he's going to destroy the earth. And it says, he that sa- and I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. That's when it happens. The Lord's going to destroy it. As I pointed out before, not only that is that true, that's going to last that much longer, but it's also true, the best years for the earth are not behind us, they're ahead of us. <laughs> the best years for this earth are ahead of us, and that's during the millennial reign of Christ. I mean, the desert's going to blossom. Everything's going to be like it should be. The Lord's going to rule and reign from Jerusalem, and uh, it's sure there are going to be people who don't obey the Lord and sin, but they'll be judged for that. He'll rule with a rod of iron, but the earth will be a wonderful place. In fact, uh, lions will lay down with lambs. <laughs> Snakes won't bite and hurt you. And uh, there won't be animals that you have to be aware of because they might hurt you. That's not the best time for the earth is yet to be. And so all this thing about us, us destroying the earth in 12 years, it's absolute foolishness. Because God is faithful. And he put this earth here and he said he's going to regulate it. And he's going to determine when it's destroyed. And he will because God is faithful. It also guarantees our fellowship in Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a fellowship with him. You're in Christ, and you have a fellowship with him. And that's going to continue. Why? Because God is faithful. It guarantees our victory over temptations. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be, be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also provide a way of escape. So when we're faced trials or temptations, the Lord says, you can get through that. I'll guarantee you can get through it, because I'm going to be faithful. I'll be faithful to you, and I'll not allow you to be tempted or tried above that you are able. And your ability, of course, is going to be dependent upon your trusting the Lord because he is able. But the Lord says, you can do it because I will help you. And it's all because I am faithful. You can count on it. You have victory over temptations. Also, it guarantees our protection from the evil one. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 says, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And many scholars say that when it says evil, it actually could be translated the evil one, which is the devil. Also, it guarantees forgiveness and cleansing of sin. I, I'm sure you're glad of that. I am. Uh, I use someone that's called 1 John 1, 9, Christian's Bar Soap. And I personally take a shower every day. There's very few exceptions. And I like to take a shower in the morning. But um, unless I've been outside working really get dirty and 
but otherwise that takes a shower in the morning. But uh, I use the bar soap myself. I know some people use the the uh, bath stuff. I don't care for that myself. But anyway, we won't get into that. <laughs> I like a bar of soap. <laughs> but the Christian's bar of soap, spiritually, is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and he's just. Faithful means he will. He promised. Just means he can. He can do it. Why? Because he died for him on the cross of Calvary. He's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins. So because he's faithful, it it guarantees our forgiveness. And so we can go through a day and sure we mess up. Sure we make mistakes. And sure we do things that we know are wrong. And uh, we, afterwards we say, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. And, and I ask you to forgive me. And he's faithful to do it. And he always will, time after time after time after time. He's faithful. And his faithfulness guarantees our forgiveness and our cleansing. His faithfulness also guarantees the preservation of our body, soul and spirit of the coming of Christ. And Second Thessalonians tells us that, that he'll preserve our soul, body, soul, and spirit. Our entire being will be preserved and someday we'll be with the Lord, our whole self. Our, body, our soul and spirit and our brand new body is going to give us. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Our person, our individual, uh, we will be with the Lord forever because he's going to preserve our body, soul, and spirit. He's promised that. Also, it guarantees that we can trust God through difficult circumstances Turn with me in your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. And while you're turning there, let me just read Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 75 says, I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right, and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. I know thy judgments are right, and thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. Now, if you ever go through trials and maybe you've done something wrong and the Lord disciplines you for that and uh, you're having a rough time, you can know this, that God is faithful and he'll get you through those rough times. And if he has disciplined you, it's because he loves you and he's never going to run out on you. He's never going to run out on you. He loves you. And so uh, Lamentations chapter 3 verse 19 says this, Remember mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. My soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul, therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him, to the soul that seeketh him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Why? Because his mercies are, are new, are, are, his mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great all the time. God is faithful. So if you're going through troubles, know this, the Lord's faithful. 
He'll get you through it. He'll accomplish what you what needs to be accomplished through it. And he'll give you the strength that you need. And he'll make it turn out right because he says all things work together for good to them that love God. We can rejoice tonight that we as Christians serve not only a great God, but a good God. He's a God who's holy, never does anything wrong. He's a God who's true, nothing false about him. He's a God who loves us, and he's a God who's faithful, and we can count on the Lord, and he is a faithful God. Because God is great and because God is good, we don't need to worry and we don't need to fear what man can do unto us. And we'll close with that passage, Hebrews chapter 13, uh, verse 5. A great verse, probably should memorize it if you haven't. And it says in Hebrews 13, verse 5, Let your conversation, that means your manner of life, be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God is great. He's my helper. And I'll not fear what man shall do unto me. And the Lord loves us. He will never leave us. He'll never forsake us because he's a good God. Thank the Lord for who he is. And I hope all of us are glad that we serve a great and a good God. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for reminding us of these truths. There's so much about you, Lord, that we don't comprehend. And we thank you that throughout all eternity we'll be learning more about your grace and your mercy and your long-suffering to us and your kindness toward us and your grace, Lord, all that you've done for us. And we thank you for what we can know. And I pray that you'll help us to take what we've learned again from the Scripture tonight and reinforce in our life that we might be a Christian who always depends on you who never turns back on you, Lord, never, fail, never fails you, or at least never calls you into question. We do fail, but Lord, help us to believe you and trust you and to know that you do all things right. You're a loving God, you're a faithful God, you're a true God, and you are a God of holiness. Thank you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.